0: Hi, good afternoon. Welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, your host for today's program. I'm the CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media. Twice a month, we produce this video show and podcast with the support of my friends at CIO.com and the CIO Executive Council. We're streaming live to you right now on LinkedIn and on our CIO channel on YouTube, and we encourage any of our viewers to join in today's conversation with questions of your own. We have our alert editors are watching the feeds on both LinkedIn and on YouTube, and they will pass along those questions to me to share with my guest, who is here today with us in our Needham studio he is Mark Younger. He's the head of IT for Servier Pharmaceuticals. Mark's CIO role at Servier encompasses all of the aspects of technology, of course, from application portfolios and infrastructure to advanced data and analytics, cybersecurity and digital therapeutics. Servier is a privately held international pharmaceutical company that is headquartered in France and governed by a non-profit foundation. With more than 21,000 employees around the world and operations in more than 150 countries, Servier has the resources and the network of an established 65-year-old global pharmaceutical company. But it also is able to support the entrepreneurial spirit and work of a biotech. Mark joined Servier in 2018 to establish the brand new U.S. division of this company right here in Boston. He fo- it is focused. This branch is focused exclusively on treating a wide range of cancer diagnoses. In those five years, Mark has been building this greenfield tech operation from the ground up, working closely with the R&D and manufacturing, commercial, and corporate functions. Before he joined Servier, Mark held a number of IT leadership roles within the biotech and high-tech industries, most recently as head of IT for Cirrus Therapeutics. Before that, he was the VP of Infrastructure and Operations at Biogen, where his team was supporting everything from R&D to commercial operations, cloud services, and high-performance computing. Mark, it's great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right. Let's start out with some context about Servier's young U.S. operation and where that fits in with the global footprint that this company has.
1: Great. Thanks. So Servier has been around, as you had mentioned, for a number of years. Mm -hmm. But until 2018, we had never had a presence in the U.S., which is a bit unusual for the It is the in the pharma
0: industry because a huge percentage of it is here in the U.S.
1: From a, a global mm-hmm. market perspective, the U.S. tends to be one of the, the largest pharmaceutical markets, mm-hmm. and it was was viewed as an opportunity for the, for the group to grow. Yeah. So we uh, were founded in 2018, initially by the acquisition of the Shire Oncology Portfolio. Okay. So the foundation in Paris used that transaction as a way to begin operations in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And we we started with very modest beginnings. So I there think was you a- had
0: <laughs> mentioned you were meeting in conference rooms at hotels <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. in you know in the uh, downtown Boston. <laughs>
1: exactly the the mm-hmm. founding leadership team. Uh, We all started in a hotel conference room in in downtown Boston where we had Mm -hmm. the initial kickoff of the business. And then we literally, as a team, walked from the hotel conference room. Down the sidewalk to Copley, and started mm-hmm. the company in the WeWork's office in in Copley Square, oh, and neat. started growing from there. Yep. There was uh, roughly seventy of us at the beginning. Mm-hmm. There was thirty or forty of us all in one large cozy room in a WeWork's facility. Yeah, we had our, our field operations and our sales force around the country, and we've been growing ever since.
0: That is well. That's pretty neat. Had you had you been able to do this kind of green fill the green field build it from the ground up operation anywhere else or was this your first experience with it in your
1: career yeah that was the first time I've grown something from a, a blank sheet of paper so that okay. was uh, one of the attractive aspects of of the opportunity of yeah. being able to start from the beginning and mm-hmm. uh, be able to watch much like gardening watch what you grow over time yes and uh, care and feed for it and see a blossom after the Yes.
0: Yes. Well, it's going to be fun talking about it because I'm sure that the issues that you face as the head of IT um, have changed and adapted and morphed over time as well. For sure. Okay. Let's talk about the mission for the U.S. division. I know that um, in worldwide, Servier is the second leading pharmaceutical group in hypertension products worldwide and the fourth leading pharmaceutical group in cardiology. So the, the global aspects of the company treat a number of very high risk and difficult diseases. And the focus for the U.S. division is very specific to oncology.
1: Absolutely. So our, mm-hmm. our therapeutic focus right now is exclusively on oncology in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, there may be opportunities in the future where that might change, but yeah. for the last five years and for the foreseeable future, we're still focused exclusively on oncology. Yeah. And within oncology, uh, there's a couple of different categories that we focus on. Mm-hmm. So we focus on ALL, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, as well as AML, myeloid leukemia. And uh, we recently just had uh, the last couple of weeks, a new approval for MDS, which is another form of cancer. And then hopefully, fingers crossed, we have another one coming next year for um, for glioma.
0: Yeah. And this was the, uh, so your portfolio products are those. I think you'd also mentioned that you had Really good results to report on the pediatric cancer side.
1: Yeah, exactly. So on on the pediatric side of of our our focus, um, we're we're very fortunate to be part of a treatment regime for pediatric cancer in ALL, mm-hmm. where we have a, a greater than eighty percent, close to ninety percent cure rate for patients. That's really And in nice. the in the cancer business, that's mm-hmm. um, that's a, a, a very wonderful place to be. Yes,
0: that's a very big win, right? Now the it's unusual. It's very unusual in the pharmaceutical industry to have a nonprofit foundation as your governing board. How does that make a difference for both the company and also for your approach as their head of IT and CIO?
1: Absolutely, that's a strategic advantage for us Mm -hmm. in in a few different ways. First, it allows us to have a very long-term vision and think far into the future, and we're able to make. Uh, investments and decisions in the long-term interest of patients without having to wrestle with near-term dynamics of financial markets. Okay. So we can uh, invest in programs that might take a little bit longer than some other public companies uh, might be willing to invest in mm-hmm. because we, uh, although we we certainly need to be good stewards of the organization, yep. uh, we don't have uh, external Investors in public markets pressing for earnings per share on a, on a regular basis. Okay,
0: interesting. The um, I know we're going to talk a, a, a lot about your tech team and how you have it organized and all that, but I wanted to zero in on one aspect of your responsibilities that I often don't see in CIO lists of things you're in charge of, and that's digital therapeutics. Start out by telling us what. What does that mean in, in the context of uh Servier, and how is this new category of medicine being impacted in good and bad ways by
1: technology? Absolutely. So mm-hmm. digital therapeutics, digital health, uh, can evolve from a definition perspective, depending on who you're talking to. Yeah. The, the definition that we apply at, at, Servier <clears throat> is being able to leverage technology in a very broad sense of the term mm-hmm. for benefit to our patients and there can be very loose definitions of that for things pertaining to our patient portal Mm -hmm. so during the pandemic there was a a a immediate gap of information being provided to patients so Mm -hmm. we rapidly built a patient portal for uh patients to be able to get some information that they might have been getting uh in person at clinics Mm -hmm. uh to more um uh, more clinically based um, decision support capabilities for healthcare providers, such as uh, therapeutic drug monitoring.
0: Okay, the are there particular moments of great pride and accomplishment for your IT staff that you've been able to accomplish in the digital therapeutics area.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, last year in November, we launched our first uh, digital solution for for Mm -hmm. HCPs, for healthcare providers. And it was in partnership with the University of Michigan, the pharmacology school Mm -hmm. there, and uh, one of our platform partners, uh, OncoAssist, that we, the three of us came together to define and Build a solution to help HCPs, help physicians and caregivers, better manage dosing levels for for products in the patients.
0: Now, is this all? Uh, talk a little bit more, also about digital therapeutics software. Are these um, are these programs that you build from like open source components, or do you partner with third parties? To bring their products onto your platform, what is what is the approach you take?
1: Yeah, so for that particular solution, we went with an existing partner in the marketplace. Okay, uh, Portable Medical Technologies, and the the benefit there is that they had uh, an existing. Uh, install base of Mm -hmm. of physicians in the U.S. and globally, um, where we were able to leverage their previous expertise, bringing medical technologies to to HCPs. Mm -hmm. And we were able to bring our understanding of the disease state in conjunction with our partners at the University of Michigan to build new capabilities on that existing platform.
0: Okay. Um, Let's talk about. I often ask CIOs about the digital business models and how those have matured since the US division is essentially a kindergartner, I guess, five years old, right?
1: Certainly in relative Uh, terms.
0: Did you start out? with everything in the cloud and we'll just buy off the shelf. Tell us about how you approach that. And I I, I guess I'm going into this thinking that your entire business model is probably digitally enabled because you did start from that that lovely verdant field of uh, no legacy to worry about.
1: Absolutely. Uh, So um, in the early days, it was... 95 plus percent cloud, the, mm-hmm. the small percentage that was not in the cloud was really just networking infrastructure in order to get to the cloud. But okay. all of our all of our services were, were cloud based. Um, over the course of time, and that was when we first started, um, we only had that really the D side of R&D through commercial, mm-hmm. um, although we had some individual researchers, it was really more uh, office based research. Um, As part of the acquisition of Agios Pharmaceuticals, we stood up a new wet lab capability. And the reason that's important from an architectural perspective is that some of the research instruments that we're putting in place for the researchers um, are protocol and latency sensitive. So that necessitated Hmm. putting some new capabilities physically on-prem in close proximity to the scientists and the devices to, to manage some of those sensitivities.
0: Interesting, interesting. I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking you sound almost more like a chief research officer than a chief information officer. Do you find has this role been just much more scientifically focused in terms of? I mean, do you, do you end up feeling like a chief science officer rather than a CIO?
1: But one of the things I, I love about the role and biotech in general is the the ability to wear different hats yes. in different situations. Mm-hmm. So in working with my R&D colleagues, I I put on my research hat. When working with my patient office colleagues, I put on my patient hat. And depending on who you're working with, you have an opportunity to to learn more about the problems that they're trying to solve Mm -hmm. and bring your experiences both within their particular functional areas as well as other functional areas to learn more about the business and help solve their problems.
0: Okay, well, and you're not a stranger to life sciences. You have been in pharma and life sciences and high tech um, for pretty much your whole career. Um, But this particular role is is different, isn't it?
1: It is, it's been a good experience from both being able to start from scratch, yeah. as well as um, have the, the ability to go into a wide, a wide variety of different areas, including some of the digital therapeutic areas that
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: are are somewhat novel for the industry at this point.
0: Yeah. Now, are digital therapeutics also spreading through the, the global operation of Servier?
1: Absolutely, so my colleagues uh, based out of Paris have certainly been uh, exploring those areas as well. There's mm-hmm. areas where we'd closely partner, and uh, it's always good to be able to learn from each other and leverage the discoveries and the developments in in our various uh, affiliates around the world.
0: Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, I had asked you about areas that you're particularly proud of that the IT operation has um, accomplished. And you mentioned direct patient engagement. How does, how has that developed over time? And Where, what are your next goals
1: for it? Absolutely. So our patient office has um, what they refer to as our patient expert council. And that is, uh, so using an IT term, it's your user group. It's your focus group for uh, developing programs for patients. So we have uh, actual patients of ours that get together on a regular basis. And we have conversations around where their unmet needs are and try to explore where we can help. Okay. So one area that uh, came up that I mentioned previously was during the pandemic, there was a gap in information. So we built uh, mm-hmm. websites and and, uh, and a patient portal for them. Uh, one that we're working on currently that came out of these patient expert councils is uh, patient support apps. So okay. although... Uh, patients feel very well supported when they're in the medical system mm-hmm. once you leave the hospital and you're back at home um, some of that support starts to taper off and it's harder to feel as supported as as you do when you're when you're in the hospital yeah so one of the areas that we want to explore this year is building new capabilities to maintain that continuity of support and care mm-hmm. when they're back at home
0: okay the um, and the last piece in that area I wanted to ask about last, no, you launched a year ago, digital health. And that was the monitoring levels for the digital therapeutics. Okay. The, um, what has been the greatest accomplishment there? You mentioned the HCPs, the healthcare professionals. Yes. I, I tend to feel like they're all so overwhelmed with all the gadgets and the technology they have to deal with now. How do you make sure you're producing something that is going to be simple and intuitive enough? Something they'll thank you for instead yeah. of taking your name in vain. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and that was one of the considerations of, of building something on our own versus going to the partner. Okay. Uh, because the to your point, they already have, enough going on in their lives, the last thing they need is is yet another app to download. I mean, mm-hmm. even from your personal life perspective, if you look at anyone's individual's phone, uh, they probably have 100 apps on their phone, yes. and they use yeah. maybe 10 on a regular basis. Maybe, right? yeah. So uh, physicians and and nurses are no different. And not to mention the fact they've got EMRs, electronic medical record systems to deal with, yes. and they've got defined workflows. Mm-hmm. So we, we chose to go with an existing platform that already had uh, adoption and acceptance from, from so the So it had
0: familiarity. Community. Correct. Which is so nice, isn't Correct. it? Yeah. And um,
1: that gave both us and the healthcare providers an opportunity to get more of those capabilities in one place.
0: Okay. Good. The um, is that the work that you did where you partnered, you'd mentioned the University of Michigan Correct. pharmacology group. Okay. Let's talk about some of the common problems that your CIO peers in biotech and pharma and healthcare are tackling today the kind of things when you look more broadly across the industry. Are there areas where you feel like Servier is ahead of the pack? Maybe it's in digital therapeutics. Um, I'm just wondering when you talk with other healthcare CIOs, what are some of the common problems they're trying to solve?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the um, when you look across pharmaceutical companies, a lot of the problems are indeed very similar. They Mm -hmm. just show up in in different flavors in different ways. Mm -hmm. The area that I think we have uh, a bit of a special sauce in is around caring for patients. Our patient office uh, is a a wonderful group of people that are very mission-driven. You can feel the passion in their day-to-day actions. Mm -hmm. And then the the partnership that, that IT and our patient office have in bringing solutions to our patients is really uh, what sets us apart. And an example of that is in Patient View, which is a a patient support organization Mm -hmm. um, that surveys other patient support organizations, voted us third in the U.S for patient centricity and, and patient focus. So when you think of all the farm and biotech companies in the country, we yeah. were both humbled and honored to, to be voted third in the country. Yeah,
0: because the company is essentially mid-sized. Correct. I mean, the, the top 10 pharma companies are names we would all know, all but names, yeah. Servier is a little newer to exactly. everyone, of course. Let's talk about that, the size and scope of the company today in the U.S. division and your tech team, how you put that together. I know you don't, you, you didn't, uh, you didn't get to hire in a hundred people to help you do this. So, talk about that.
1: Yes, yeah, so we're a small and mighty team, right? So we have a combination like of employees. Like small and mighty.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, a combination of employees, contractors, mm-hmm. and service providers, trusted partners that, that have been with us for a while. Okay. And we we organize the department uh, based on enterprise capabilities mm-hmm. and business capabilities. So for the enterprise mm-hmm. capabilities, things that are non-functionally specific, yeah. those are things like your your infrastructure, your network, your your servers, your service desk, mm-hmm. as well as data and analytics that might cost, cross multiple functions. The, the business aligned functions get coalesced around business processes and pl- common platforms. Okay. So we have groups for, we have a group dedicated to R&D, one to corporate and industry, and mm-hmm. then another for all of our externally facing functions. So our patient office, communications, and and commercial. And the reason for that is that you're able to solve a greater number of problems with mm-hmm. the smallest number of platforms that allows you to have a smaller number of people, individuals on your team, yeah. to be able to specialize in a small set of platforms and solve a greater number of problems.
0: Okay. Um, what have you found are the upsides and the downsides of that approach compared to some of the bigger companies you've worked with, like when you were at Biogen?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so at Biogen, we, uh, we had the flexibility to have um, an individual specialist or multiple individual specialists for yes. a, a very narrow scope. Um, the benefit of that approach is that you can get very deep knowledge uh, on a particular area and mm-hmm. potentially not have to go outside to hire outside help because you already have it in-house. Mm-hmm. Um, the downside is that from a collaboration perspective, you have more inherent silos of conversation. Across even within the IT infrastructure team that I led, across the the different teams. So if you flip it on its side and go from a horizontal platform perspective, you condense a lot of those conversations into a given team. Yeah. So if you look at uh, the way that some software product companies organize around product teams, it's a very mm-hmm. similar concept.
0: I was wondering that when you were talking about the way. Um, some of the essential ways you've got it organized. I wondered how many similarities there were between high-tech companies you've worked with and the medical field.
1: Yeah, the way that we run IT at Survey Pharmaceuticals is more indeed like a software company's organization than a, uh, I'll call it an old school, uh, (laughs) traditional IT organization. Yeah,
0: because uh, listening to you talk about this, I also think that your your title, it, it sounds also like I said, chief science officer, also chief product officer. That's Because that's the productizing be approach has, has really been very dominant as an IT leadership strategy over exactly. the last few years. What are your thoughts on that? You have been in much more technically deep into the bowels of an organization roles and now more in a product leadership role, I guess, in how technology will support and enable it. Um, what does that feel like how is that different for you as the CIO?
1: <laughs> it's it's a mindset of understanding who your end consumers are and your uh-huh. end stakeholders are. And although you have, you have internal as well as external stakeholders, applying that same product mindset mm-hmm. helps you figure out from a roadmap perspective, what are those capabilities that your stakeholders are going to need today and what yeah. are the ones that they're going to need in the future? And then working together with both, patient offices and patient mm-hmm. forums, as well as your internal stakeholders in the research department, to, to really define what that roadmap is gonna look like and then build it together.
0: Okay, and the um, in terms of building things together, let's talk about the, the workplace culture, um, which is ends up being so important in just the success and overall happiness and how you keep your talent at any company. Um, you're, when, when we talked earlier, um, I'd mentioned that oh you started there in 2018 and then there was the pandemic but you were probably all online anyway but it wasn't that easy was it I mean the uh, in terms of people being in the office versus working remotely uh, talk about the arc of what that has looked like in these last five years <laughs> yeah
1: absolutely so the in the in the early days we were most of us were all in this literally in a single room. Schoolhouse. That's right. <laughs> and, that conference room uh, in downtown exactly, Boston. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> the um, that uh, was really a, a benefit for our, our early beginnings because it allowed for people to spend a lot of personal time together and in the, yeah. the pre COVID world, mm-hmm. being able to build those, those personal in-person relationships really positioned us for success to be able to pivot into a hundred percent remote world. Mm-hmm. It's much easier in, in, in my view that, uh, to be able to collaborate virtually, when you have a pre existing relationship. It's much Mm -hmm. harder to build new relationships virtually, you can certainly do it. And we've gotten better at it over the years as as a global society. But having that strong in person connection uh, was really very helpful as we're making that transition to 100% remote.
0: Yeah. Well, and you say 100% remote, but you still have the, there's flexibility where a few days of the week people are in the yeah, office absolutely. and your officer, you're in the Boston Seaport area.
1: Correct. So yes. um, post COVID or at least po- post lockdown, whatever this right, is now, our, yes. our new normal, yeah. Yeah. Um, we're in a hybrid mode now. So okay. we, we are two to three days on, two to three days off mm-hmm. as, a, as a general policy. Um, with that said, there's also uh, role specific criteria. Mm-hmm. So for our researchers, for example, you can't really do gene sequencing in your kitchen. So <laughs> those roles need to be done in the labs. So they're in they're in five days a week. Mm-hmm. Also, some IT roles are also in the office five days a week. Uh, conversely, our, our sales reps are, are remote. Nobody, 100%, 100% nobody of the sees time. them. Exactly.
0: <laughs> nobody knows where, where they are. You only see them
1: once a year at the national sales meeting. And, <laughs> exactly, and that's, where they come uh, to collect their bonuses. The yes, exactly. Um, so then for our our mainstream Boston based organization is two to three days on two to three days off Okay. for for it what we've tried to do is set at least one day a week so thursdays are our, our one day a week where everyone is in the mm-hmm. office so we can still capitalize on some of that proximity yes and and literally having lunch together and being together for for side conversations um, and then the rest of the week is more mm-hmm. flexible. So based yep. on, on personal preference and, and schedules.
0: Well, as and as you and I are experiencing right now, it's so different when you can actually just sit at a table and look at somebody, look yeah, them in the eye. Exactly. It's a whole different energy. Okay. Um, let's uh, let's talk about going into 24. I'm thinking about you know a, what an an amazing mission the company has. I mean, you're you're literally out there working to cure cancer in all sorts of different ways. Does that make talent recruitment? Um, pretty much a snap crackle pop for you, or uh, how do you find the talent you need? So I know you have a, uh, I, I know you have a huge strategy around talent management and especially yeah. developing digital talent. Yep. So let's dive into that a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely.
1: So the the leading with the mission is uh, something that we do intentionally, of course, uh, because it's. Uh, is making sure that you get the right people on the bus mm-hmm. is, is really the, f- the first step. And, and if people are attracted to that mission, um, that's a, that's a really great start to the, to the recruitment process. Yeah. Um, with that said, we're not the we're not the only company in town. You're Not the only biotech company in by town by any means. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's by no means a, a snap crackle pop, mm-hmm. um, but it, it it certainly does help. So the from there, it's a lot about again building relationships and those networks within the community. Mm-hmm. Um, although Servier is new to the, the the Boston area and to the U.S all of us come from other previous companies. So I've been in the Boston biotech neighborhood for Yeah. In high, tech, years like sciences,
0: in high tech, like sciences, biotech. So, exactly. um,
1: w- within my first day of landing in the job, I picked up the phone and then called a couple of previous colleagues and, and mm-hmm. started growing from there. Yes. So really a lot of the, the initial, re- re- uh, attraction to survey is really not unlike other companies where we, we tap personal networks. Right. Um, and, and then once you're starting those conversations, leading with the mission is is the next step. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and you're active and fairly well-known even in the Boston community as well. I think you've been involved in Boston Sim and the Inspire CIO Network here, that sort of stuff. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you more about um, – one of the approaches that you've been interviewed about, about taking a talent life cycle management approach. That sounds very sciencey and, and very, that sounds very mm-hmm. technical. Mm-hmm. What are you really talking about when you talk about talent life cycle management? Yeah, absolutely.
1: So if you think of uh, like a software development life cycle, there's, there's phases of a relationship. <laughs> Which not all of right? us start our day <laughs> not thinking not
0: about, but right, fair right, enough, right, right. Yeah,
1: That there's, um, much like software development, there's phases to to, sure. to to that development. Much like there's phases to a relationship between an Individual in an organization. Okay. And the the first step that we start with is really understanding what the current and future needs are of the team in the organization. All right. And then uh, taking one of two paths. Either grow that capability internally with your existing team mm-hmm. or hire it from the outside. Mm-hmm. And uh we try to do a combination of both i I have a preference for growing from within but when when uh needs needs arise you would sometimes have to go to the outside to hire individuals Mm -hmm. but using that as a filter what the current and future needs are the organization is a filter to figure out what are the development plans need to look like for the existing team Hmm. and what does the resume have to look like for for hiring from the outside so once you once you cover that base And, um, you have your existing team figuring out what they want to do with their careers and their individual aspirations is, Mm -hmm. is really the next step. Mm -hmm. And, um, the magic happens when you're able to get close alignment between what the organization needs in the future and where the individual wants to go, because when you can Mm -hmm. merge those two together, you get not only solving the business needs, but also personal passion and interest and going on that journey together.
0: Okay. well, and you had mentioned that and talked about um, the long-term vision. how do you how do you explain that to either you know software engineers, data engineers already working with you or perhaps new recruits that are coming in? How do you explain the long-term vision and then fine-tune how they're going to fit in?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So we we do this on a regular basis, actually. So okay. my, my team, if you surveyed them, uh, I tend to be a broken record right around this time of year. Uh, <laughs> so we are on an a October to September uh, annual fiscal cycle. Okay. So this time of year, we're finalizing our goals for this next fiscal year. And I always come back to the same slide deck year after year. That starts with uh, a a cascading set of vision, mission, and and goals. Okay. Where we start with the mission of the organization, and then deconstruct that into IT department goals and missions, and deconstruct that further into individual goals for the year. Oh, all right. So that everyone has a direct uh, laddering up of the your goals for the quarter and the year Mm -hmm. back to what the vision of the company is.
0: Okay, and the. The long, is the long-term vision for the U.S. division of Servier to continue growing? I mean, the the company is about five hundred people here now. <laughs> Your IT staff is around thirty, with both outside contractors and internal. Um, how are you when you think about it? Three to five years from now, how big are you going to get?
1: <laughs> well, the um, the our our mission in, and vision isn't really driven by necessarily a growth number. Right. It's it's really driven by. Um, meeting patients needs to the, the, the best we can. Okay. And um, if we're successful in doing that, the more patients that we care for, the, uh, the bigger we'll, we'll become because we're more successful at taking care of our patients. With that said, okay. there's, there's two, there's two elements to, to that, to that future growth trajectory. They'll be both organic. So growing from within mm-hmm. uh, and discovering new products and moving them along the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, inorganic growth, whenever there's a, a, uh, interesting business development opportunity.
0: Okay, fair enough. Um, and I'd mentioned this a little earlier, and I want to circle back to it about how your role has changed, morphed, expanded as you went from that greenfield startup biotech uh, launch to now uh, to sounding more like a chief science officer <laughs> than a CIO. Yep. Um, what did you What did you bring into the role? What are the parts that have really grown for you
1: yeah mm-hmm. absolutely so the in the early days it was is really setting up ba- very basic capabilities. I can okay. remember on our, our first day uh, going into WeWorks and sitting next to uh, our head of finance mm-hmm. and saying, hey, I need to buy 100 laptops. Um, how do you want me to do it? Yeah. And, Am I putting that on and, my charge card? And, or? and, and he turns yeah. to me and hands me a corporate card. He does hand and you he a corporate says, card. Just, okay. just give me the receipt when you're done. Mm-hmm. So obviously okay. I couldn't put uh, $100,000 on on a, on a corporate card, but I did it in, in, in batches. Um, <laughs> but th- there was an example of, of really writing just foundational processes around purchasing around inventory management like literally screwing in light bulbs to get to get the show started
0: oh you didn't you didn't have to adopt what the global company was doing based in France there was
1: mm-hmm. a the, it depends on the service right so okay. there were things there was an existing office 365 environment for example mm-hmm. that we that we adopted and I'm very grateful for that being in existence before I showed up Yes, because that was just one thing that I, I didn't have to well, have you didn't have do to with, you
0: right? didn't have to decide exactly. and everybody didn't have to learn a right. new system exactly.
1: yeah uh, but the the foundation was was very intense about maintaining um, an autonomy for the U.S. to be able to grow uh, in a way that was conducive to the U.S. market. Mm-hmm. So um, we've been uh, provided a, a fair amount of flexibility in terms of defining what those processes look like. Okay. Um, now that we've been established, um, there's I think there's a really good growing close partnership between really all affiliates, including ourselves, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's really a, a source of strength for us.
0: Okay. Um. You had mentioned that that as one of the things I'd asked you about what had changed over time, and you'd mentioned that the foundational knowledge about digital therapeutics, which you've, it's been growing right along with you, of course, but that um, you take a Shark Tank business case development approach yeah. when you're considering new ideas. De- uh, describe that. I know everybody knows what Shark Tank is, but I think it <laughs> – differs by how you do it in each industry.
1: Yeah, and is absolutely. this
0: something that you do with your IT staff alone? Or do you have your business and research colleagues involved as well? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, and funny, we're talking about that, because there's one oh. happening uh, today, in, okay. in, in about a half, a half an hour. Uh-huh. So, um, to start with your last question first, so we we do partner closely with whatever functional area, uh, the particular solution is intended to, to solve for. Okay. So uh, the one this, uh, today, as a matter of fact, is for the, the patient app that I mentioned a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, colleagues from our patient office, uh, NIT, will be presenting later today to a committee mm-hmm. that is the, the product portfolio committee for the, the product that we're hoping to launch next year. So okay. there's uh, a panel of, of roughly nine individuals. So it's slightly larger than the, the show mm-hmm. panel. Um, and you have to show up with, what's the problem that you're trying to solve? Why is the solution that you're proposing going to solve it? Um, why are we the ones to solve it versus someone else in the market? Mm-hmm. And then uh, going into capabilities and, and costs to then get to the end um, to finally make a decision on whether or not we should proceed.
0: Yeah. Did you have to bring in any kind of special training to get your IT staff up to doing that sort of thing? How do you develop that kind of capability? Because you're not large enough in the IT area to have like a digital university or a business university where you teach everyone that.
1: Yeah, absolutely so we take um, somewhat of a learn on the job and learn through doing approach okay so the, um, the it's a safe space to be able to fail and and learn through that process mm-hmm. to and and iterate on what worked the first time and then evolve for the next time so the the business cases that we came up with back in 2019 were um, were not nearly as robust as the ones that we're coming up with now. Oh, yeah, um, and figure. the, the yeah. polish in the decks, the messaging, uh, how we approach our stakeholders, and mm-hmm. our internal investors, so to speak, um, has matured over the years. And it's yep. it's been uh, through practice and error.
0: Okay, what are the talent areas that you have your greatest needs in and and then I want to drill down and talk about what you do in advanced data analytics I believe it's a federal requirement now that we talk about gen AI <laughs> so we'll have to we'll have to bring that up and address that but uh, you mentioned you have enterprise capabilities and then you have yeah. business focus so I'm interested in how you divvy up your talent in that area. I keep asking you multiple questions. It's yeah. not fair. <laughs> um, so, first question is about the talent itself. Where, yeah. where are you constantly, always seeking more, more and better talent in? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely.
1: Um, so. If I may make a shameless plug, we're currently hiring right now. That's so. a very
0: good reason to be
1: on a show <laughs> right. like this, yeah, exactly. where you can
0: talk about yeah. why. Uh, what is it, my even insurance company CIOs come on yeah. here and say we are a magnet for tech talent, yeah, there you go. and fair enough. So yeah. go ahead with your plug. Why should we come? I'm a brilliant software engineer. Why am I interested in coming to work at Servier? Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. So the um, so we're looking for things pertaining to Salesforce platform and Viva platform expertise. On okay engineer inside. <laughs> Um, and one of the, the selling points for that role is that's one of the roles that's actually working on a lot of these patient solutions. So sense, th- there's an opportunity mm-hmm. to to be in those patient expert council conversations, and um, it's for me personally and really for the for the whole team. You don't always get that opportunity in in the in an IT role or the, the biotech world mm-hmm. to be able to be um, literally face to face in the same room with your your and 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 patient state stakeholders. So having that close proximity um, mm-hmm. is, I think, really, really a special opportunity. Okay. Um, we're also hiring in data analytics and mm-hmm. also in uh, business relationship management with our corporate and, uh, and manufacturing functions.
0: Okay. Now, I often expect CIOs to say cybersecurity mm-hmm. as their first thing, because um, they'll bring it up but then they don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> do you have have you got your cyber I mean, your cyber risk area well sewn up? Do you go outside the company for that sort of help?
1: Uh, yes to both. So okay. um, the uh, it's always important to be humble in the world of cyber sh- security. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's always opportunity for improvement uh, mm-hmm. and and getting better at what you do because the world around you is evolving. Yeah. And uh, the moment you stop caring and and evolving is the the moment that uh, you have problems. I
0: know if you lose the fear factor reaction, yeah. you're going to be sorry. Yeah.
1: Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. That's right, right so you, because actually won-
0: they are, right? <laughs>
1: exactly. So we um, mm-hmm. actually just this summer, we did a, a third party uh, NIST-based audit of our of our cybersecurity program, Soup to Nuts. Mm-hmm. So through that, um, it was able to highlight things that we're doing really well at and places where we have some opportunity for improvement.
0: Okay. Um, can you talk a little bit about places that you're doing really well at?
1: Yeah. So the the two places that we're doing well, um, one is around uh, governance of the cybersecurity program. Excellent. Um, mm-hmm. The it's um, I remember um, watching uh, your your show with uh, Shannon Gaff that yeah, yes. that uh, governance might not be all that exciting but it's important and I have to agree with her that well you, you know you need what, it.
0: once right. you dive in right. and start talking about governance it yes. really is very critical I can remember years ago uh, I was editor in chief of CIO magazine yep. and we would be pitching various stories the editors and reporters would be talking about cover story ideas, and every time anybody said governance, everybody kind of laid their head on the table yeah. and said, oh, mm-hmm. governance story, what got? But governance is a very powerful function. Yeah. It's where the money's coming from, how it's being tracked, how it's being spent. It's strategic decisions across the whole content. So, so now that we've brought that up, how are you approaching IT and business governance? Are they done together? Um, As a single process, like do you have a governance structured committee that does that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this is a Mm -hmm. a good example where we have a very close collaboration between Boston and Paris on Ah. things pertaining to cybersecurity. So um, my colleagues over in uh, Paris and I spend Mm -hmm. a fair amount of time together working through making sure that there's no... Uh, gaps to the extent possible in our mm-hmm. in our mutual defenses, so there's yeah. there's a lot of close collaboration and there's a lot of mutual interest because we are mm-hmm. we're certainly all in the same boat together
0: <laughs> <laughs> Now is everyone speaking French when you're doing that?
1: So my French is very bad. So my, my wife is French and my kids are all fluent, but um, nice. my, my French is pretty dicey. I can cook in, mm-hmm. in French. Yes. I can clean the house in French, mm-hmm. but um, doing business in French is a little tough.
0: Ah, well, and, and since you're talking about cybersecurity, you can't really bring one of the kids in to yeah, exactly. help with that, you know, sure. that sort of thing. Um, let's talk about, um, oh, the way you have... IT structured. You mentioned it. It's there's business capabilities, enterprise capabilities. Is this a, a a build, run, launch kind of organization? Have you changed anything substantially in the way you have things structured versus some of your other leadership roles? Yeah, absolutely.
1: So um, it's it's intentionally not a plan, build, run model. Okay. Um, and the the reason for that is that in in previous lives. Um, is especially as the organization starts to scale, maintaining clean handoffs between those organizations um, as you get bigger is really hard. <laughs> yeah. And the operations team will point back to the development team and say, you, you deployed bad stuff. It's a recipe for right, finger why, pointing, isn't exactly it? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. um, and that goes back to the product mindset that I mentioned before. We intentionally mm-hmm. organize in product teams on a small number of platforms okay. so that whatever the team deploys, they have to support. So as, as incidents come back and ideally those are small, they have to address those. There's no more throwing it over the wall and we're done. Exactly. <laughs> if you build it, you own it. Yeah. Um, and there's there, again, there's pros and cons of, of that approach. There's there's no mm-hmm. there's no one one perfect solution for all companies. Right. Um, but it, that one works well for us.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's why it's such a, a a perennial question of mine when I'm talking with CIOs and like how exactly are you doing this? And everybody's doing it a little bit differently. Even if they are just product focus organizations, the way they organize the teams, you're probably organized differently than you were four years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What is the newest part of the organizations? What have you created or what have you spun up in the last year that is uh, taking, you know, something that you didn't have, a a structural approach that you didn't take four years ago?
1: Uh, There's there's nothing new in the last year, uh, but the the most recent uh, team that we stood up was the the data and analytics function. Um, And that was roughly three years ago. So about, it, it took us the first couple of years to get all the The basics in place. Mm -hmm. And then by year three is when we started doing some more of the. Um, the advanced warehousing types of activities.
0: Okay, and now you've mentioned the magic term data and analytics. We are required, as I said, yep. by law these days to talk about Gen AI. <laughs> I'm really just teasing. We're not totally required, but it has been, uh, as as you mentioned, my uh, recent interview with Shannon Gath, who was yep. in here from Teradyne, we talked a lot about it. There's uh, CIOs really can't avoid the topic, yep. even if you sure. wanted to, right? So I'm asking you about Gen AI. How is that fitting in? What are you playing with in your labs, what can you tell us about uh, in your approach
1: to it or perhaps a plan for a future approach to it. Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, you're right, that everyone is talking about it these <laughs> days. You really can't can't watch a, a a podcast or have a have a sales call with a, no, with a software. You can't company swing a microphone time. without hitting the <laughs> exactly. topic these days. Totally true. And it's it's clear that there's going to be significant productivity enhancements as a result of, of generative AI. Yeah. Um, with that said, uh, I think we're somewhere around the peak of inflated expectations and at some point we'll we'll slump down back into the trough of disillusionment and (laughs) and, um, reflect back on on what um, really matters. Mm -hmm. And the generative AI can be a great uh, tool for all kinds of situations. If you're a high school or a a college creative writing student, it Mm -hmm. has been an absolute game changer, right? It's great for that type of stuff. Um, But just because it's a great hammer for that particular problem doesn't mean all problems you face in your your technology career are nails. Mm-hmm. And the being able to sift through those is a function of of use cases and yeah. under being really clear about why generative AI is going to solve certain types of problems but mm-hmm. not others. And our approach at Servia has been to um, use a number of different variables to help sift through those use cases. Mm-hmm. So for example, what is the quality requirements of the outputs? So what's the level of accuracy? Um, if you stay with the creative writing side of things, from like a perhaps a marketing perspective, yes, um, that that is a little more amenable to it. Um, if you're doing work for regulatory submissions, dossiers into the FDA, that's less amenable. If you're using yeah. uh, public data sets, yes, and that's, we we can. Um, Shannon
0: was making that point too that we, you, exactly. know, you just don't want any of your proprietary data to get into a public Chat GPT. E- exactly, we, yeah. we
1: can dig into public versus private. Libraries and the, the benefits there, but the yeah. um, that's variable number one that we mm-hmm. use is things pertaining to quality and accuracy. Second is around data privacy and oh, an intellectual property. So mm-hmm. uh, to avoid situations that Samsung had earlier this year, where their software developers were using ChatGPT for for code checks, which it's great at, um, yeah. but they they inadvertently or unknowingly posted a, a lot of uh, proprietary. Samsung code mm-hmm. uh, out into the world, which yes. prompted the company to, to shut everything down. That's right. Um, we also use speed of realizing mm-hmm. value on on that use case, and oh. we can discuss uh, approaches to to how to go fast versus how to go slow. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at existing ecosystem, our existing technology ecosystem as a okay. variable, and then finally cost. Yeah, uh, because the you can you can maximize those previous variables depending on how much you want to want to pay for.
0: Yes. Well, and and speaking of how much you'd want to pay for it, what are the conversations like that you're having or hearing from your um, tech vendor community, supplier people? Um, I think right now, as is, Ava, you mentioned the peak of disillusionment. I think there's the peak of incredible hopefulness okay. uh, in rampant in the tech vendor community in general. Yeah. Um, I, you know, There's very few of them that have a marketable product yet, but the yeah. ones that do. So that's where a lot of the noise comes from, of course. What are your vendor management approaches to uh, an area like this, to Gen.AI? I, I can...
1: Uh- I can honestly say I can't think of a single vendor that does not have some form of AI plugged into their their platform. Of course, yeah. Um, but, but many of
0: them also have AI already built in for many yeah, years, yeah, don't exactly, they? I mean, we're exactly. we're but, singling right. out Gen AI yeah. as some kind of special case because yeah. it is it's just virally yeah. interesting to business and the regular public these yeah. days. My
1: heart goes out to software vendors because they're just required to show up with that sure they are, yeah. And, and put yeah, into the marketing materials. <laughs> and, and and for for different different partners, it's true for. To different varying degrees, right? Yeah. So, um, a couple of our uh, strategic partners have relatively mature existing mm-hmm. capabilities where um, uh, the existing platform already has some some semblance of, of, of AI already embedded. It might not be generative for some mm-hmm. of those, but the being able to use algorithms trained on data to to trigger actions and make decisions for for some of our, our platform vendors, yeah. have, have been there yeah. for a while.
0: Well, it's funny because now we're talking about these days we tend to differentiate between regular run-of-the-mill AI and then generative AI. Um, And it really hasn't been that long that even run-of-the-mill AI has been part of products. Um, Although I I can remember this being a, a big emerging, whenever I'd ask an emerging tech Question: We'd start hearing about augmented reality and yeah. that sort of thing. But uh, there's a—you had mentioned when we talked previously. There's a very big buzz about machine learning and AI in the drug discovery mm-hmm. process. Yeah. How does that? Um, how does that apply at Servier and the work you're doing? And what are some of the big picture, um, the progress areas and the concerns?
1: Yeah. So the 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 basic concept for the problem that, that we're trying to solve is mm-hmm. you have a large library of compounds and you have a number of targets that you want to see um, whether or not those compounds work or have an effect. Yeah, And um, at some point you need to literally do the physical science to ensure that that works, but you can accelerate yeah. that process and, lim- and reduce the number of variables you have to test for in the lab ah. based on programmatically figuring out what the highest probability of of matches are. Okay. So the that's been a, a premise promise of drug discovery for many years and I know I um, think
0: everybody's familiar with that 10 years, 1 billion and yeah, 10,000 yeah, yeah. people, you know, 10,000 ideas yeah. it just to get one incredibly great drug.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's um there's a a painfully high failure rate from the, the 10,000 great ideas to one actually getting to, to patients and over the course yes. 10 years. So anywhere w- that we can accelerate that process, there, there there's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and within um, machine learning, I won't necessarily call it, certainly not Gen AI or, or AI, but machine learning has been uh, a solution that's been brought to drug discovery for a number of years. Right. Um, yeah. But to not oversimplify it, it's still really hard. And the yeah. amount of <laughs> of success in, in that approach has been limited. There's, yeah. there's been some relatively high profile um, partnerships that got mm-hmm. spun up and then stopped um, due to a, a lack of progress. We, science, are getting better at it mm-hmm. in, in recent years, but it's, um, it's, it's gonna still take a while before um, all problems are solved with, with machine learning. <laughs>
0: okay, um, do you have a specific setup to explore innovative ideas, to play around with Gen AI and machine learning at the advanced edges right now inside of the company, or is that something that kind of everybody is tasked with keeping an eye on that horizon?
1: Yeah. So the um, so OpenAI um, really triggered um, mass interest in it did, generative didn't it? AI. Yeah. So as of since November of last year, yeah, um, everybody in the company has been exploring. Uh, uh, new opportunities. Mm-hmm. The, the way that we uh, channel a lot of that interest um, mm-hmm. is is through our IT business partners, and um, as we're having regular conversations with our, our stakeholders in various functions, generative AI always comes up. Yeah. And what we've done is uh, a number of small scale experiments just to see, to pre- test out the hypothesis, see if it mm-hmm. works, um, and then uh, learn from those in terms of where we want to make future investments. So two yeah. sort of e- examples of that. One is on the, on the patient side, mm-hmm. um, we have a patient portal and a patient services organization that patients and caregivers can, can call into, mm-hmm. and it's open Monday through Friday during normal business hours. Uh, and the idea on the table was, is there some way to provide, um, better interaction and support for, for patients outside of that when, when our, mm-hmm. our support team is, is sleeping. Um, Chatbots have been around forever, right? That's, yes, that's not yes. not novel, but was there an opportunity to be able to improve that experience and hmm. provide better answers to patients via via chat? And we went relatively hmm. deep on this case um, yeah. where we explored um, building a custom solution uh, for internal libraries. And the reason for mm-hmm. that was when, when you're dealing with anything pertaining to healthcare and your patients, um, there's, there's no option to be wrong or only slightly right. It has yeah, to be hundred yeah. percent correct. Right. So um, we didn't want um, uh, just an, an open source chat GPT giving our patients guidance that was, was not curated by us. Yikes. Yeah. So as we, uh, yeah. as we started unpacking um, what it would take in order to build that capability, what we realized was uh, the price point in today's world mm-hmm. uh, just didn't make sense the okay. the capabilities there um it's doable but um, we just simply didn't have the scale of transactions mm-hmm. for what it would cost to put that solution in place today. Hmm. If you're a if you're a, a significantly larger organizations with with thousands or tens of thousands of transactions on a regular basis, mm-hmm. it the, the lines cross from from a value proposition perspective. Okay. Um, so the for us, you would just hire a couple of more more reps for your your patient office. So what we learned from that was. Hmm. Um,
0: and that's a lot cheaper than spending yeah, boku bucks. Right. Which, which on, seems a little yeah. like
1: counterintuitive to, to hire more people versus use <laughs> technology, but for for custom built um, generative AI solutions, at least in today's landscape, that's a true statement. Mm-hmm. But our two takeaways from that was really twofold. One is the custom route in today's world wasn't cost effective. Mm-hmm. Um, But as we started shopping around with our platform partners, um, there are other opportunities where you might not get all the exact whistles and bells that you might be able to build on your own. Mm -hmm. The availability and the price point for those on existing platforms was much more attractive.
0: Okay. Okay. Well I'd imagine with all the pitches you're getting for Gen AI involved products now from your your very valuable vendor community, it it must make your well, your I was thinking your B S meter must go off more often, you know, the the alarm bells are sounding. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we're, we're certainly getting better at asking the the harder questions early, just okay. to understand: uh, is it marketing? Is it real? Yeah, and, and what can you actually do?
0: What's an What's an example of a harder question to ask?
1: So we um, we start off with how much of this is built, right? So because okay. for some of the pitches that we've been getting, they've been offers of of co-development of solutions Um, which which we we Mm -hmm. are are interesting we can certainly um we certainly do entertain those conversations sure um but the having something to start with um is for what we're looking for much um much better for where where we're at as a company because the um the typically they'll start falling off into haven't started have something, but we want to extend it with you to something yeah. that's relatively mature and you can just buy off the shelf. But the uh, the mature and yeah. buy off the shelf on the generative AI side of of the continuum is relatively limited. At
0: this yeah, point. the the proof of concept playing around with it in labs exactly. has gotten yep. that's gotten a little loosey goosey. It's I gotten think. very loosey oh. <laughs> and, and goosey. I was yeah. thinking, yeah, it reminds me of that old punchline joke about um, it'll be so great when it gets here.
1: Right. Exactly. And
0: that's and right. I you know right now you could probably put a whole lot of the gen AI yep. stuff in it. But as you say, it's not something you can ignore if you're in an IT leadership position these days. Um, Final question I have as we wrap up. Tell me what you have learned about your leadership style Mm. in these last five years in this Greenfield field build up company in a very high tech biotech area. Um, What have you learned about your leadership style? What has changed?
1: Absolutely. So there's Two leadership styles, philosophies that I've, I've tended to employ over the years. Mm-hmm. One is situational leadership, the, the good old-fashioned Ken, Ken Blanchard approach, and, um, and uh, Greenfield with uh, servant-based leadership. Um, ah. And I think that the two of those mm-hmm. uh, together work really well. And it's also very conducive to our organizational culture, Mm -hmm. the uh, the spirit of servitude and being being there to take care of others Mm -hmm. um, is um, amenable to our mission. And I think it really um, puts uh, actions behind, behind what we, what we say in words. Okay. So how, how has that evolved over the years? Um, it's, uh, being a good leader is a journey. You're, it's not a destination. So <laughs> with, with every passing day and week, yeah. um, I, I sincerely strive to be better. Um, mm-hmm. hopefully my team will say I'm better today than I was five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, there's no, there's been no epiphanies over the last five years, but it's, it's definitely been, uh, a, a daily, daily mission to improve.
0: Well, it, it just, I think I always love it when I hear that term servant leadership, because that idea that you're there to help everybody around you do a better job is not a bad place to start from, Yep, exactly. especially in, uh, in it. Um, thank you so much. It was wonderful having you here today for this conversation. Thank you for having me. If you joined us a little bit late today, please don't worry. You can watch the full episode of my conversation here today later on LinkedIn, and you can also find us on CIO.com and on CIO's YouTube channel. CIO Leadership Live is also available as an audio podcast uh, wherever you find your podcasts. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Mark Younger of Servier Pharmaceuticals. We'll be back again in three weeks on Wednesday, November 29th at a slightly different time, a little earlier in the day at 10 a.m. Eastern, when I'm going to be on here with Juan Perez, who is the CIO of Salesforce.com. Thanks so much for joining us today and do take a moment to subscribe to CIO's YouTube channel where you can find the entire library of more than a hundred similarly interesting and in-depth interviews with IT leaders. Wishing you and your loved ones a very wonderful and relaxing Thanksgiving holiday and we'll see you here next time.